0: The Spectator is Europe's fastest growing current affairs magazine. Subscribe today and find out why. You'll get 12 weeks in print and online for just £12, plus we'll send you a bottle of Spectator gin worth £30. So if you do the math, you'll work out that is absolutely free. Go to www.spectator.co.uk forward slash gin.
1: Hello and welcome to the Americano Podcast, a series of discussions about American politics and now the Joe Biden presidency. We will be looking at how a 78-year-old president will change America and we'll be asking if normalcy, which is what he promised to bring, has returned to American politics. The answer, of course, is no. I'm joined today by Nima Sagachi, who is director of Middle East and South Asian art at Bonhams. And we're going to be talking about the extraordinary rise in digital art. This is quite an unusual subject for an Americano, but it does have quite an American focus because the most successful artist that we know of is called Beeple. And he's recently sold a painting for 60 million, I believe it was, Now, Nima, this is not something that Bonhams is involved with, is it? Uh, The sale of digital art and NFTs. But could you possibly explain as much as you can? Because I realize it is a very strange subject. What is going on with NFTs, which stands for non-fungible tokens, and the sale of digital art?
0: Yes, I would qualify the introduction by saying that I I come to this as an enthusiast and someone who's uh, self-educating, like a lot of people are. in in what is virgin territory and that our company hasn't engaged in any concrete project related to non-fungible tokens. But I'm also glad that you, in your introduction, refer to it as digital art, because I think that a lot of people are confused by the somewhat abstract terminology, which um, the term NFT brings with it. Mm -hmm. And actually, if you unpick it, in some ways, it is more mundane than than most people think it is certainly people of my generation and and most people alive today will have grown up around digital art they will have interacted with it however in knowing it as graphic design as illustration as animation as videography And really what the NFT phenomenon has been is it has created an ownership structure and a tradability around something which is actually extremely familiar. Sadly, illustrators and graphic designers have normally been understood as people that are hired for project based work or for, you know, the production of creative content Mm. and haven't necessarily been seen on the same plane as artists and people engaged in you know artistic endeavors throughout the past couple of decades and actually the ownership structures that nft has afforded them has allowed them to be kind of elevated to this sphere of you know artistic producers
1: an nft let's just explain for an nft a non-fungible token if i'm understanding it's right correct me wrong if i'm wrong it's a unit that has unique properties and can be bought and sold so it's not a it's not an exchange It's something like a painting is a non-fungible token, isn't it?
0: Well, yeah. I mean, if you want to get philosophical about it, anything can be tokenized. And I liken it very much to the way that fine art photography developed in the 1950s and 60s, whereby a a photographer in that period was faced with the same conundrum as a digital artist is now, which is, you know, I have an item that essentially, when produced is a facsimile. Uh, is a token of, of an image that I've captured. How do I make that tradable and worthy of ownership? Now, the photographer had a very manual mechanism to do this. They printed it. And, you know, they assigned an addition number to it and they put their signature on it. They personally assigned ownership of it to someone else. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't, uh, that ownership wasn't guaranteed by a structure which we call the blockchain in mm. digital art. So actually digital artists are basically going through the same kind of steps that a photographer or a lithographer, even in the medieval period, would have gone through. And if you look at it in those terms, it's a lot more kind of comforting and familiar yes. than, than the kind of slightly obscure idea of a, of a token.
1: But as you say, everything can be tokenized. And we've seen, I think, um, Jack Dorsey's first tweet has been tokenized, I think sold for 29 million, was it?
0: Yes, um, uh, the the tweet was actually sold, I think it was um, yesterday, um, yes. for charity. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting. I think... If we're talking about this the sphere of fine arts, I would put that more in the kind of collectibles category, <laughs> uh, probably in the same um, category as, you know, an old stamp or a
1: banknote or something more of a collectible than a kind of a creative endeavor. Well, it does seem to be blowing up as a sphere of interest and certainly a sphere of investment. Um how long do you think Bonhams can hold out before you start taking this very seriously and having a special department for it?
0: Well, we have to be, our our job is to be reactive. Uh, our valuation process is extremely open. We're, we're kind of like a kind of A&E for, for artworks. Anyone can walk in with an artwork and ask for it to be valued. Yeah. So our, our doors are completely open. And if we get an accrual of, of people asking for non-fungible tokens to be valued and potentially sold, and on the other side we see a market for it, I think that there is a degree of inevitability that we will have to deal with them. Obviously, it comes with its own pitfalls and... Everyone at the moment is trying to play catch up with, you know, educating themselves and understanding exactly how the mechanism works. It is obviously different from traditional art in the sense that you have to interface with a technology and a form of ownership that you aren't um, necessarily altogether familiar with. So I don't think there's any particular rush, but I think the direction of travel is definitely towards embracing them in
1: some form. There's quite a lot of theorizing that, uh, I mean, after 2008, the crash of 2008, you had a lot of government stimulus if you like, creation of artificial money from central banks. Uh, And this led to a boom in assets, certain asset categories. And I think fine art was one of them. Certainly uh, expensive cars was another, property was another. And the theory now is that you're getting a, a slightly crazier, a much crazier trend, and you're getting these insane bubbles. We saw the GameStop story. We've seen cryptocurrency. And this seems to be the most eccentric of the lot, I'd say, so far. Um, Is this what's happening? Is, Is money finding its way into these extraordinary manias and bubbles?
0: It depends on what perspective you're taking on it. I mean, there are some people that actually almost ignore the art aspect of NFT art and purely focus on the NFT side of it. So they're looking at it really as something that's completely wrapped up in the trend or craze or crypto movement. So if if you decouple these and then also look at it as something that is actually a creative endeavor, that these tokens that you're talking about are actually visual, they 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 have a a kind of visual and artistic backstory, then I think that uh, some of the hype surrounding them, when it bubbles down and, and when it starts to simmer, you will have some actual creative content, something of art historical value remaining. Mm. Yes, it's true. Uh, a, a lot of. Um, uh, we've actually seen seen it repeated throughout the history of the art market. There have been points. I mean, even in my own field, which is Middle Eastern and South Asian art, we had a period in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, where people were buying anything Middle Eastern. There were there were clients, there were buyers that were uh, purchasing artworks without having a sufficient um, knowledge of what yeah. they were getting into,
1: yeah. and there was a, a craze around things like um, Arabic and Middle Eastern calligraphy. There are manias, and there's yeah, always. There many- but this is how the artwork. World has always tribes, doesn't it? Precisely, precisely.
0: Yeah. But that you know, that's just a function of, of just you know human psychology and the way that people a- approach hype around a specific subject matter. But w- it, the question is, when that falls away or when it you know w- w- when it, it cools off, is there something remaining there that is uh, worthy to be taken forward? And you you think there might? be? Well, I think there has to be. Yeah. If you if you look at uh, NFT as just a change in medium, then uh, in actual fact, looking at something on a screen is, you could just see it as a different form of display mechanism as a is. Yeah. And the empowerment that NFT provides artists in the sense that they don't need, the barrier to entry doesn't require having an expensive studio, doesn't require shipping artworks, you know, between countries, doesn't involve import taxation, export rules. The ease with which these items, which at the end of the day, are funnily enough tangible I mean you open your screen and you look at them you can you know you can fall in love with someone on the screen you can buy a home on screen why can't you uh, appreciate an artwork on screen it actually isn't isn't any less real in terms of the way it interacts with you, you at a purely ocular level than an artwork is
1: well I suppose I mean I suppose the point would be that you know anybody can open it but as you say that's like a photograph
0: yeah of course I think that there's a difference between ownership and possession you can possess any art most artworks uh, by replicating them. I mean, you can replicate a large number of artworks. I mean, obviously, an original oil on canvas is more challenging to replicate. Yeah. But certainly, sculptures can be recast, photographs, lithographs, engravings. So it, it is not merely the case that having the JPEG file or having the, the image constitutes ownership of it.
1: Yes. Well, a lot of it is already becoming conceptual. I saw yesterday that a house has been sold for half a million, a digital house by an artist I think was designed I can't remember the name of the artist but it's designed by an artist and it's landscape architecture and it's actually using uh, my wife is training to be a landscape architect at the moment so I recognize it's using this software that landscape architects use that is in itself quite an extraordinary idea isn't it that you would buy a virtual house well it'd be even more extraordinary if it if it sold for more than the house would cost to build so (laughs) Um. But that's but that's what happens in I mean that's what's happened in modern art for a long time is is that it's sort of it's ironic it's it's mocking itself in many ways it's it's playing on on the conceptions that people have about art itself.
0: Well, one of the most surprising things for me is the the level of indignation that has come out of the traditional art world for uh, NFT and digital art. Yeah, and I find it absolutely beguiling that the, the contemporary art market, who's bedrock is precisely the kind of avant-garde art that challenged traditional notions of art that was so irreverent and so iconoclastic is now in some quarters quite indignant towards NFT art and, and, and almost not taking it seriously when, you know, the art market itself is, is really rooted in art movements that question the nature of art. So
1: there's an unusual irony there. I mean, is the anger possibly because it's playing precisely, these digital artists are playing precisely the game that the modern art world has been getting away with for a long time?
0: Um, for for fear of uh, raising <laughs> of the ire of my colleagues, I would, I would no, I'd have to agree with you. And really, the, the idea that the art market, or uh, let's remove the word market, that the kind of modern and contemporary art movement has become reactionary, it's quite a sad one because I think challenging the notions... Uh, the traditionally the traditional preconceptions of what art, art is, is one of the fundamental tenets of 20th century art. And I think really it's a case more of the kind of vanguard losing its grip on the channels through which art is appreciated and traded. And I think there's maybe a fear that the democratization of the art world will detract from the power of the traditional arbiters of taste
1: well the art will be disrupted exactly i
0: mean the, the word disruption is the key word here but actually you know the art that most auction houses and galleries are purveying was extremely disruptive irreverent iconoclastic and you actually had a podcast a few weeks ago talking about the reddit stocks and someone said you know one thing you can't ignore is the fact that this is actually quite enjoyable Mm. And there's a sense of, there's a deep sense of enjoyment amongst the community when they're producing and, and trading this art. And actually, it's the same kind of enjoyment that a lot of the avant-garde artists of the 20th century felt when they were sticking two fingers up at traditional arts. I mean, a- Andy Warhol urinated on sheets of copper and sold them. And I think he, he was tremendously indulgent in, in sort of sticking two fingers up at the old guard. And I think...
1: Well, it's something you see in, in cryptocurrency. I mean, a lot of it is the sort of lol, nothing matters yeah. Uh, attitude applied to serious subjects like money i mean if you look at something like dogecoin or whatever it's called which is everybody knows it's not even a real cryptocurrency and yet it's got quite a lot of value because that's the joke right it's it's the mockery is part of the as part of the value
0: 100 percent. and you know amusement and mockery has been a function of you know art for for millennia and that's precisely why we shouldn't be taking it too seriously in that sense uh, I remember when Bonhams were actually one of the pioneers in in urban art. And they really had to tackle the same kind of conundrum in the sense that how do you take an art that is inherently incompatible with being displayed and sold in galleries because it was produced, you know, out in public? We're talking public. about graffiti. Yeah, we're talking about essentially about graffiti, yeah. which is it, you would think that graffiti is the most uncommodifiable thing in the world because it's, you know, made in a public space, not made to be bought and sold. But somehow the the kind of art industry managed to tokenize graffiti and to bring it into the sphere of the artistic tradable mainstream. Mm. And I think the same thing is happening with digital art, which, again, has hitherto been perceived of as something that is unable to own specifically because it's not tangible.
1: Well, at the risk of asking slightly Pyle's question, this is not eventually going to be bad news for artists because in every other disruption we've seen, certainly in journalism this is the case, and in the music industry, say, when you have this massive democratisation disruption, eventually the artists, the creators, do end up being poorer. Is that not going to happen here?
0: The interesting thing about the digital art movement is that one of its core tenets is the empowerment of the artist. And the aim is to basically you know, erode the influence of the intermediaries. So we have, well, in the EU and, and in this country, something called artist resale rights, whereby when uh, an artwork is, is traded on the secondary market, the artists will have an entitlement to a percentage of the proceeds. Hmm. That process is manual in the sense that it has to be claimed. And it's only claimed in instances where the, the sale is public. The positive thing about NFTs is you can actually write the royalty into the transaction. You can actually write it into the code of the artwork itself. Right. So that when it's traded on the secondary market, that royalty automatically goes to the original content creator, in the same way that you know a, a a song replayed on radio royalties will accrue to the original um artist and this
1: this is what people do people would do that to his his artworks the, yes
0: the, I think I mean they're all doing it, and as yeah. long as they they as long as they continue to be traded on the blockchain yeah they will the artists will accrue royalties so actually it it it, it is inherently empowering artists, but obviously again there are pitfalls in the sense that you could technically trade digital tokens off the blockchain so you could you could actually trade them for real currency and then transfer ownership parallel to that. So I could pay you 100,000 pounds in in cash, you know, in a duffel bag, Mm. and then you could send me the digital token, and then the artist will not accrue any royalties. So obviously, there is some catching up to do when it comes to this kind of off chain transaction.
1: And the major platform at the moment for this dealing is is CryptoPunks. Is that right? Um, There are several
0: platforms. And actually, it's funny, because as as democratic as NFTs are, there is a danger of oversaturation. And there's perhaps a misconception that a lot of these artists are sort of just kids sitting in their bedrooms, kind of, you know, off the cuff making artworks. Actually, there is a community of people that have been doing this for years. Mm. And there are platforms that are quite tightly curated, actually. So the main two are Nifty Gateway and Super Rare. And in order to be featured on, on their sites, it's almost like going to a traditional gallery, in the sense that you have to present your portfolio, you'll be screened. And after a few weeks or months, they will kind of admit you to their platform. So they're kind of operating like digital galleries.
1: And there are, and it's run by digital auctions too, right? Yes. They yes. sell at auction. And they sell at auction, but unlike traditional auctions,
0: the artists will sell directly at auction. So the traditional auction world usually interacts with what's called the secondary market. So that's people that collectors or galleries that own artworks and want to sell them. We very rarely deal directly with artists. It's just the way things have been done. And a lot of these platforms are dealing directly with artists. So it's almost like the kind of a hybrid of a gallery and an auction house, commissioning works from artists and then auctioning them directly
1: to the to the kind of end buyer. You sound quite positive about all this. Do you think in uh, five, ten to ten years' time, this will be a large part of your work? At
0: the moment, I think the, the there is a period whereby... I think that the hype needs to cool off and there needs to be an assessment of where digital art falls in the kind of pantheon of art history. There needs to be uh, probably a kind of uh, academic evaluation of digital artists and possibly some institutional engagement with it. At the moment, I think it's very much something that is I wouldn't call it insular but it's the space in which these conversations are taking place is primarily within the the, the space of people that are already enthusiasts or they're involved in cryptocurrencies. I think the more that it interacts with the traditional art world and the more it kind of infiltrates academia and kind of institutional conversations, the more we'll be able to understand at the end of that conversation where it kind of fits in. And yes, uh, I think that, you know, by its very nature, an artist working in tactile media can go, I mean, Damien Hirst has said he's going to go and produce NFTs. So if you have that kind of seamless porous border, whereby traditional artists are working with NFTs, then it's impossible to discount.
1: On that fungible note, I think we'll end it there. Thank you very much for coming in, Nina.
0: Thanks so much.